0: Welcome to a special bonus episode. This week I was sent an email asking if I could help recruit BC residents between the ages of 39 and 60 who are assigned female at birth or identify as women, gender diverse or trans. Why do you ask? Well, the Women's Health Research Institute, in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross and the BC Women's Hospital Foundation, is conducting a large online survey to explore the physical and psychological health experiences of midlife women. Their specific interest is the transition through menopause, its associated symptoms, impacts on your life, including work, your health-seeking experiences, meaning what providers have you been to so far and how successful have these experiences been, as well as barriers to obtaining care around the menopausal transition. My first thought was, I'd love to share this information. We need this research because I think the results will show ways our healthcare system could improve, the need for more training for providers, and I was interested in what Pacific Blue Cross would do with this data. Will it affect insurance coverages? I asked Dr. Lori Brado, the principal investigator, if she would come on and discuss this study in more detail with me. For example, why the research is even being conducted, the goal of the research, and of course, to help reach as many potential participants as we can. Here are the details. Okay. Dr. Lori Brado, I'm really honored to have you back on the podcast. We talked, I want to say a couple of years ago, when you were helping with a study related to painful intercourse or vaginismus. Mm -hmm. And I think about you often because I have some (laughs) of your books on my shelf in my office and recommend them all the time. And and you are doing such amazing work in so many areas of of health for, you know, women and men and, and everybody actually. And so I know your time is
1: precious. You're
0: a busy woman. And so, again, I appreciate your time.
1: Thanks, Melissa. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm so glad we are having this conversation.
0: Yes. And I'll, I just want to give some background. So what happened about a week or two ago, I received an email from one of your research coordinators, Cynthia, just saying, Melissa, mm-hmm. we're doing this study and um, I'm hoping that you can help disseminate. And I looked at the poster and I thought. Wow, this is really neat. And if I just post it once on it, on Instagram or send it out in a newsletter, I don't think it's going to have the impact as if we talk about some of the background mm-hmm. here and and how this big this sounds. Yeah. And so, Lori, will you talk a little bit about? Um, I know here's what I know that you're you know you're helping to conduct a study. It's called let's see, the her BC so Health and Economics Research on Midlife Women in British Columbia, and that yeah. you're looking at the effects of menopause and symptoms of menopause on midlife women. And um I saw that, you know, there's this funding, including funding from Pacific Blue Cross. And mm-hmm. I just started thinking, hmm, I wonder what they're looking for here. And I wonder what the <laughs> outcome was, is going to be. And so let's talk a little bit about this. So why don't you yeah. just explain a little bit, Lori, about what is this research? Like, start with the yeah. big picture here. What are we doing? Terrific.
1: Yeah. So um, in my role, well, both as women's health researcher and clinician, but also I have the privilege of running our Provincial Women's Health Research Institute. And one of the things we know for certain is that women's health has historically been ignored misunderstood, dismissed. Um, And when we look at the research on women's health compared to say men's health, we lag about 20 years behind. So it's only been since the year 2000 that women were in clinical trials. There's a lot of medications and treatments that we actually don't have information on how they apply to women as compared to men. And then of course, when we get to gender diverse people, we know almost nothing about the nuances of of, um, how certain treatments work. When it comes to midlife women's health, and finally, I think today we're having a conversation about menopause and perimenopause and what that is. And we're not shying away from that. Um, But the research on that topic is so minimal. What we have from the early 2000s It's a very large study looking at the safety of hormones, oral hormones taken by mouth um, on different facets of women's health. And it was called the Women's Health Initiative, WHI. And that study was stopped prematurely um, because of some concerns about uh, safety indicators with those hormones. And for the next 20 years, there's been this cloud of darkness around midlife women's health, the danger of hormones, Um, you know, women stopped doctors stopped prescribing it we stopped talking about it um, until very recently when those data were reanalyzed, um, and it turns out that actually they're a lot safer than the women's health initiative research showed um, they were studying a much older demographic of women etc um, etc cetera, et cetera. so I think what that did that women's health initiative study and the re-examination is it's opened up this conversation about menopause earlier this year in Canada we also had the Canadian Menopause Foundation published a Um, A big study showing a significant number of midlife women have symptoms at work. We know 80% of midlife perimenopausal women have vasomotor symptoms, hot flashes, night sweats, difficulty concentrating, um, and never tell a coworker about it, miss work, and and never tell their boss about it. Um, And so there's clearly more work for us to do, both in terms of research, so that we have more data on the safety of treatments, on what are the health practices that midlife women are doing um, but also so that we can have a conversation about menopause so that it's not something we're embarrassed if we have to step out of meet of a meeting because we're having a hot flash Um, so that's why we're doing this study it's really to take an in-depth snapshot what are the experiences the health experiences and health seeking experiences of women that we're calling midlife this kind of demographic of of uh, women age 39 to 60. And it, and it is women, but it's also um, f- females who don't identify as women. So females, born female, who might identify as gender diverse or as trans, because they too experience uh, perimenopausal and associated symptoms. So, so our hope is by the time we complete the study that we'll have answers to some of these really critical questions to help women live healthier lives. So, so obviously, so you're the
0: principal investigator, you're professor at UBC Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Mm-hmm. You're a registered psychologist in Vancouver. And so, and you also are, are you the director of the Women's Health Research Institute? Is that
1: correct? Yeah. Okay.
0: So for a lot of practitioners listening, um will know who you are because um, you do so much. And so <laughs> I think they will have heard of you, but I list, I picture this episode Hopefully, going out to a lot of different practitioners, mm-hmm. you know, RMTs, chiropractors, mm-hmm. physiotherapists, naturopaths. I actually started, I didn't quite finish the um, survey yet myself, but yeah. I saw a very comprehensive list of people just trying to look at who, who are you seeking help from. Um, yeah. So I'm hoping that obviously this episode will reach those people, but I also picture the number of women. Um, that come into like a setting like mine and Mm -hmm. honestly have don't even haven't even really heard of menopause they associate it with hot flashes only and so I think they wouldn't think um, to be included in this and I picture that I'll say can I share this with you and that they'll be able to fill it out and not just filling it out learning so much but hopefully add to the numbers of people you're looking for because I think some people don't understand that change requires research and data and data requires numbers, right? Yeah.
1: Uh, absolutely. And, and that's why I'm so grateful, uh, Melissa, for this platform to talk about it. So definitely the healthcare providers who are listening in, who might also identify as a midlife woman uh, experiencing perimenopausal symptoms, um, although it's not a requirement, it's really just a requirement that you're in that age group, because we do want to capture the premenopausal women who haven't started transitioning yet. And although this is just the first year of the HERBC study, our hope is to make this an annual thing where we can sort of follow women over time, but also over time, add additional modules as we learn more. So this first phase is a snapshot of 2,000 BC women, um, and then we're going to follow that up with a a smaller subset of those women will take part in a semi-structured interview where we ask them some questions about their health-seeking behavior and how much did they pay out of pocket in order to have some resolution of their symptoms, or how many visits did it take for them to finally feel like someone was taking them seriously and not dismissing them telling them to just go home and have a glass of wine, etc. And then what are the barriers? Um, so where health benefits don't cover some of these really critical services? Um, how much are people spending out of pocket? And can a survey like this, the scientific findings, actually inform some of those health plans to make sure that women are not facing those barriers? We face enough barriers just by virtue of identifying as women um, or gender diverse or ethnic minority or geographically living in a rural town. Um, experiencing menopausal symptoms should not be a reason to have barriers in seeking care.
0: So are you capping then at 2000? Is that what? Did I understand that right?
1: Um, so uh, t- 2,000 is is a kind of a statistical number because that will allow us to kind of look at some of our subgroup analyses. So can we compare those who live in the north versus those who live in an urban center? Um, can we compare sort of age stratify people? Can we compare based on other health comorbidities or based on race or based on, again, we, we absolutely want to get some gender diverse females in the group as well. So it's more of a statistical number that allows us the power to make some conclusions, even when we do those sub analyses, but we're not going to cap it if, you know, we're, we're going to um, keep collecting. And then as I said, we're going to add additional modules on next year and over the next five years.
0: And so can you explain a little bit about, well, actually, how long will you, how long do people have to fill out this survey?
1: So we're, ho- we're hoping for this first snapshot of the findings that we have all of the, the, the survey data in by the end of March. So by March 31st, we're going to close it. We're going to lock clean, analyze. Our brilliant statistician is going to do some of the statistical analyses, and then we'll launch the next phase, which is the interviews. Um, And I should say that, um, you know, we are compensating participants. So everyone who does the interview gets a small um, uh, remuneration for their time, and then anyone who does the survey gets entered into a draw. But the chances are pretty good at at, at winning some money. I know it's some... you know it's a small way for us to say thank you for for people's time and and for some people having that extra little bit of remuneration really makes a difference as well um so yes march 31st we're going to cap it for this first wave but we're going to continue to collect data over the next many many months
0: and would you say one of the biggest barriers is just getting the numbers
1: yeah, we want the numbers. You know, it's it, we we especially want diverse representation. You know, mm-hmm. we want the folks who are living in Rivers Inlet or Powell River or you know the remote corners of BC. Um, and uh, I think one of the challenges also is um, it's only in English. And so, we're, what we're not capturing is the experiences of newcomers or people who um, don't have English fluency to be able to answer the questions. We've definitely designed them in a way where the questions are very accessible, and we we worked really hard to make sure the language was not scientific or medical; that it was very understandable. But it's but because it's in English, that is going to pose a barrier to some non English speakers who live in BC.
0: Okay. And um, will you give people a little idea then before they look at the poster how long it will expect they can expect to be taking to fill it out?
1: Yeah. So. Um, assuming that this is a person who feels very comfortable with their phone or their iPad tablet or their computer, because it is an online survey where you kind of read through and you click the best answer. So assuming that a person has some comfort level with being able to do that, it probably takes anywhere between 20 to 35 minutes. Um, It'll be on the longer side if it is a person who has you know, attempted to see many, many different healthcare providers, you know, they've seen the acupuncturist, they've seen the naturopath, they've seen the chiro, they've seen 13 different family doctors, they've, um, so, so, um, and then of course, there's a whole section on impacts on work, and caregiving responsibilities, um, medication use, uh, supplements, etc. So that, those additions will add to the number of minutes it's going to take the sur- to, to fill out the survey.
0: Yeah. I, like I said, I started filling it out the other day. I just haven't quite finished it, but um, I, I did see that it's, you know, it's a pretty comprehensive questionnaire mm-hmm. asking about things like the impacts of quality light of life in my daily activities. Yes, health-seeking se- experiences. I thought, oh, this is really good. It's a comprehensive way to look at what I have done so far and then mm-hmm. the, the barriers to obtaining care. So can I... Just so that people understand, again, I I know you've said some of this. I just want to make sure that I'm tidying it up a little bit. So again, the reason for conducting this is because we see that that healthcare maybe is not optimal for this population, right? We, we mm-hmm. see some of the the holes in the system, right? And mm-hmm. and and for that reason, you're interested. How does so so people know where does funding come from to execute something like this so that mm-hmm. people people understand that
1: yeah so as scientists we this is a big part of what we do is we try and um, secure grants to run research studies, because of course, we have to set up, you know, the online system, we have to make sure we have a good statistician, we have to have study coordinators that can advertise, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, we use a variety of different sources of funding, we often apply to the federal government, the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, most of my research on women's health and sexual health has been funded by the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, which is essentially taxpayer dollars that go to this federal body, that then um, administers these awards to different scientists across the country. Um, sometimes scientists will seek private, so foundation donations, or they'll work with certain companies. Um, and that's the case with us here, is the funding comes from the BC Women's Health Foundation um, and Pacific Blue Cross. And um, so we're super grateful to the BC Women's Health Foundation and Pacific Blue Cross for funding us. Um, and it's it's important to stress that both of those entities remain very arm's length. So they're not leading the survey, they're not analyzing the data, they're not influencing the key findings, they will be recipients of the findings. And then of course, um, because we also have knowledge uh translation experts on our scientific team that can talk to the to those groups about okay now how do we use these findings how do we actually use the statistics to inform our healthcare system or how do we use them to educate doctors or allied healthcare members about just how common perimenopausal symptoms are and um and and help you know the government make decisions about maybe where more funding should go in the way of supporting midlife women's health so so that's a bit of the background Uh, around how the funding works.
0: And so would, you know, and obviously one of the goals of the study is to improve, you know, and use evidence-based care. Um, Will you speak a little bit to, because obviously you never know where research is going to go. You never know where it's going to go and you can't always, you can guess maybe some of the outcomes, but you can't, you you, you don't know what's going to happen. What, can you speak a little bit to kind of um blue crosses like what 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 might they be interested in this
1: for yeah i think they might be very interested in looking at what are the health seeking behaviors of women who have symptoms right so for example if we see that um I don't know, 99% of women who have severe menopausal symptoms are seeking the care of an acupuncturist. And I'm just throwing that out as one example, because we do ask about seeking care from many different allied healthcare providers. Um, That makes quite a statement. If people are paying large sums of money out of pocket, to see this specialist and, and deriving some benefit, I would hope that companies like Pacific Blue Cross and others, of course, might say, hey, we should include that as part of our extended benefits coverage plan, given that this is what women want and this is what women are doing. So I think that that's what they're going to be interested in is using the findings to inform and hopefully change and hopefully improve the kinds of benefits that they provide.
0: That's great. Laurie, anything else? I think that provides a good kind of big picture and, and hopefully entices people to go through with this. Um, anything else that I haven't asked you that you think is important to get across in this message?
1: Um, you know, just speaking directly to the, the women and the gender diverse people themselves who feel like they've been dismissed. And I was just speaking with um, one of my coworkers this morning who said, she was told yesterday when she went to her doctor and complained about vaginal dryness, which is a common symptom during the perimenopause, and she was told that she needed marital therapy. Um, now, as a psychologist, I don't want to dismiss the importance of marital therapy for a lot of people. That's really critical. But to dismiss legitimate and dis- and, and distressing midlife health concerns as being, quote, all in your head Is completely inappropriate. It's malpractice, in my in my opinion, and um, and so yeah. So so to those who are listening, who maybe have firsthand experience of not feeling like their symptoms were listened to or taken seriously, this is a chance to have your perspective shared um, because you can trust that we will we will be sharing the findings to anyone and everyone who will listen and uh, and hopefully making some changes uh, in our healthcare system as a result.
0: Yeah, it sounds like not only kind of on an individual or patient level, but this data can help show that maybe our practitioners need more education too, right? And, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Laurie. I look forward to having you on um, at a time that would be good to share some of the results that you're seeing so far and maybe talk I'd about love kind that. Of next yeah. steps. That might be very I'd love helpful. That. So thanks so much for your time.
1: Thanks, Melissa.
0: And that's a wrap. If you enjoyed the show, can I ask you a big favor? Would you do one of three things for me? Number one, leave a review because we could all use a little positive feedback sometimes. Number two, download the episodes because it helps me see what people are interested in. Or number three, share it with somebody else because sharing is caring. Catch you next time.